Hi, welcome back to The Death Diner, our second episode. So excited to be here with all of you. My name is Donna. I'm a hospice chaplain, and I'm here with Will DeMichaelis, and he is a funeral director in Orange County. And what we wanted to talk about tonight with everyone is mortuary and making those arrangements and how do we do that when that can be a difficult topic and it can be uh, an opportunity for many emotions to come up. So I wanted to ask Will uh, what his thoughts were on when, if there is a right time to start talking about mortuary arrangements. So uh, my answer to that question is, uh, sometimes I think, um, an answer that people don't necessarily like cause they don't like to face death in general. Um, but my answer really is as early as possible. Um, there is no wrong time to have a conversation about your mortality and to define what you want to happen to your physical body after you're gone. Um, The nice part is there are a lot of resources in the healthcare industry uh, that families interact with prior to ever needing our services. Mm -hmm. And we're lucky because most of those entities have social workers on staff that sometimes force the issue and and let families know that it's it's really time to have that conversation to start calling mortuaries, decide what you want to do, cremation versus burial. Um, do you want the remains kept at home? Do you want the remains to be scattered at sea or interred at a cemetery? Uh, going over all those options and figuring out what's important to you regarding that, if anything, if it if it's nothing, is there someone in your family who it is important to um, and get their input? Um, I know that the most difficult situation is those who don't have any type of conversation with their loved one and they pass away and they are stuck making the decision without the input of the person who's passed. That's and right. That's tough because there's a tug and pull um, intrinsically usually with that person about doing the right thing. And there's no right answer because you never had the conversation. Um, I would say in, in a lot of ways, the majority of families don't have a problem. They, most families are choosing direct cremation, uh, maybe with a, minimal services, like a small intimate viewing for close loved ones, but no preparation to the body. Um, very happens usually within a few days after the passing. Um, and then cremation in would happen as soon as the necessary documents are ready. And then the disposition of their choice would be executed, um, so on and so forth. Um, I, I find that those families that do you have that conversation before? And usually it's with a social worker with hospice mm-hmm. or at a hospital. Um, feel a little bit better about the decision-making process um, just because they're everyone's involved um, and they get to kind of think of it with, or think about it with a bit of a clearer head in mind. 
um, which is always a better state to make decisions. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of having that conversation, do it as early as possible. It's a nice, it's not, it doesn't always make for a nice dinner conversation, but it's a conversation worth having just like any accidents happen. You never know what's going to happen. And when you're faced with that decision, sometimes I think it brings some comfort, at least knowing what you think your loved one would want. Even yeah. if you only had one fleeting conversation, mm -hmm. I think it helps with, um, with having to make that decision because it's going to have to be made yeah, for exactly. all of us at some point. Exactly. And I think I, I encounter more often than I'd like, uh, families who are paralyzed by their reality mm -hmm. and therefore do not make a decision. And, and that manifests itself in not returning phone calls uh, or uh, playing phone tag or evasive maneuvering, yeah. um, which is classic escapism behavior. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's unfortunate, but I understand that situation um, and I think bringing this conversation out in the open, especially for those types of people, can help alleviate a lot of that. Yeah. Um, I find that not only making the choice for a mortuary and maybe what you want for yourself is understanding the, the laws behind the mortuary process yeah. and, and what we have to do. Uh, legally, before a cremation can happen, before a burial can happen, um, a, a lot of it has to do with uh, legal items that families like to ignore, yeah. but we can't. And then we have to bring them the bad news and be the bearer of bad news when it's not us making the rules. We're just the standard bearers and doing what we have to do. But it's um, not always well received because those people hearing it are grieving and may not be in the best state of mind to, to absorb all that information and be able to make conscious decisions based on it because it wasn't what they were expecting. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of that uh, has to do with advanced directives um, and powers of attorney. Um, my, my biggest recommendation, uh, when your loved one is declining along with deciding what type of arrangements they want, but making sure that you've conveyed to the person who's controlling the disposition of your body, that that is their responsibility, yes. um, or responsibilities if it's more than one person. Um, and if you're executing legal documents to ensure that, i.e. advanced directive or last will and testament in certain cases, five wishes in certain cases, mm -hmm. um, make sure that you bring those documents to a mortuary in your state and have them look it over because they will tell you if it contains the correct language and if it's executed correctly. Because on a daily basis, uh, we see families who have documents that are valid mm -hmm. in and of themselves in terms of the language about rights after death. 
but they will miss a witness signature or not get it notarized. Um, then it's null and void. It's null and void. And it's well, bad news. It's, it <laughs> is. And the thing that I've learned is when I sometimes talk to someone, even if it's just a friend, I said, oh, yeah, I've got, I'm going to be buried at Fort, uh, uh, Forest Lawn. Forest Lawn. It's all taken care of. Exactly. But what it is, is it's a cemetery plot and not mortuary. So now you have to make those arrangements when, yeah, they might have a place to be buried, mm -hmm. but they don't have the mortuary piece. And that doesn't have to be done at any particular place. Mm -hmm. If you shop around ahead of time and figure out, you know, financially what you can afford. And, and because just because you have something done arrangements in one place doesn't mean that it encompasses everything, if that makes sense. No, absolutely. I think and that's the clarification piece that I know I didn't know about. Yeah, it, it, it's really um, comes into play with cemeteries. So you have two options, basically, for disposition, generally, cremation and burial, um, with some alkaline hydrolysis kind of creeping into the market, yeah. too. But it's very small. So we're just yeah, going to talk. Just read about that. Yeah, cremation and burial. So if you have a, I always think about it in terms of services and real estate. So okay. a cemetery plot is a physical piece of real estate, and you can purchase that independent of mortuary arrangements. So independent of a cremation mm -hmm. arrangement and independent of a burial or funeral arrangement. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of times they go hand in hand because people want a one-stop shop. Yep. Um, but if money, a lot of time, if, if money is a factor for you, uh, separating the two can save you a lot of money, um, especially if in, in either case, cremation or burial, mm -hmm. um, you do not have to make your mortuary arrangements at the funeral home that owns the cemetery. Okay. Which is, really nice that you have that freedom. Um, not all cemeteries don't like that. They don't like people knowing that necessarily because mm -hmm. it can cost them business. Um, but you can get a cremation for minimal amount of mm -hmm. money and then you can spend the money on a plot. So I like to kind of think of it as if you have a pool of money to play with, mm -hmm. what's most important to you? Yeah. Is it to have a plot at eye level at a, this particular mm -hmm. cemetery, mm -hmm. if that's the case, then do an inexpensive cremation and spend the majority of that budget on that niche or that plot mm -hmm. and, and execute what you want for yourself to spend, spend your money smartly yeah. um, and effectively. Um, and that's always my suggestion to, to families. Um, they do run into the issue that you mentioned with saying that, Oh, um, I took care of my arrangements. Mm -hmm. I'll be my cremation. My I'm going to be buried at Fort Fort Rosecrans, or, or I have to do a, choose a private cemetery. I'm going to be buried at Forest Lawn. Mm -hmm. um, they will buy the plot, and this is this is kind of the, the thing that I, I would highly recommend is convey to your next of kin accurate information. Yes. Make sure that they, if you can, show them a copy of the contract that you executed with the cemetery or if you're making mortuary arrangements, mm -hmm. those arrangements, so they can see what you've actually paid for. If it's a full funeral mm -hmm. or if it's just the plot, because then 
you know if you have any work to do. Exactly, because then it's not a surprise when you die, and all of a sudden now they have to make these arrangements they thought were handled. So even if it's not financially an issue, emotionally they aren't in that space because they thought it was handled. Yeah, it's a it's an expectation minus your reality um, that equals happiness. Yeah. So you you want to manage those expectations, and there's a there's an easy way out of saying that it's all taken care of, but you you risk having a situation like that. Yeah. Um, I, I think the most common situation um, apart from that is uh, step family members. Mm -hmm. And uh, in terms of knowing your legal rights as a, as a family member yeah. to direct those dispositions, um, the law doesn't, this, this sounds curt and I apologize, but the law doesn't care that you were mom's caregiver mm -hmm. for X amount of years. Right. Um, it is, it's, it states what it states and you have to abide by it. Yeah. Um, I, I always say in, in the case of stepchildren, those powers of attorney are extremely valuable. Yes. Um, is, is, Especially if there's there's no one else around mm -hmm. in in geographical area, um, you're you're going to have a person with the weight of the world on their shoulders and ready to take on that responsibility. Mm -hmm. uh, but them hearing that they can't when they're ready to mm -hmm. um, sends them into a, can send them into a spiral. Absolutely. Um, I, there are certainly family members that take it in stride, mm -hmm. um, but not all do. I, I know for, for we probably encounter a dozen a year, a dozen cases a year where a step family member, we will get a death reported to us by a hospice or a hospital and they will list they will tell us mm -hmm. that the next of kin is a son mm -hmm. or a daughter. And in going through the arrangement process with them, we will find out that they're a stepchild mm -hmm. and we have to tell them that they actually have no legal right to control the disposition of their loved one. Well, unless they have a power of attorney, a power of attorney for healthcare. Um, and in those cases, if there's, in some cases, there's no other blood, there's no blood relative mm -hmm. in existence that can be found. And in that case, we report those decisions to the public administrator of that county. Oh. And we outline the situation that this decedent is in and what information we have. And they use their governmental resources to try to locate family um, and through various databases that they have at their disposal. Um, and we wait usually about a month uh, to see if they find any loved ones mm -hmm. through a biological relation. Um, and if they don't, then the county has to authorize the cremation. But the worst part about that is that that stepchild cannot receive the remains. Oh, they can't, they can't touch them. 
The only thing that can happen other than dispersal at sea is that they could be interred at a veteran cemetery if they were a veteran. If they're a veteran. Wow. And, and that's really painful for someone who's very willing to make the arrangements, willing to take the remains, to do everything and anything that the yeah. decedent wanted to happen to their remains. But by law, they, they, the, they have law, no they right can't. to the remains. I can definitely see how that could cause some, a lot of emotional issues. So get those power of attorneys going. Going, yeah. Um, and always have them checked. So you, there are trust attorneys. Mm -hmm. there's, there's no shortage of trust attorneys to execute those documents for you. But I implore you to share them with a licensed funeral director in your state. They will tell you if it is valid for mm -hmm. the purposes of disposition. I, I get a lot of families that are very upset with me. Sure. Uh, when I tell them that their power of attorney isn't valid because, and reasonably so, they've used this attorney for years. You know, they've done all their wills and trusts and so on and so forth. And, but this isn't their area of expertise. Yeah. And if, if there is language that's omitted in that document, um, then it's it's not gonna it's not gonna help it's you. It's not gonna help you. Um, it might help you up to a certain point, mm -hmm. maybe in terms of things while the patient's on hospice while yeah. they're living, in terms of nutritional value mm -hmm. and hydration and things like that, and those choices. But after death, it's a different ballgame. It is. It's a different ballgame. A whole new set of laws kicks in after you pass away. And you gotta be prepared for that and make sure that the documents you have executed are gonna actually work for you. Yeah, that's very important. I have a question actually about that. Sure. Um, if someone takes their remains home, mm -hmm. um, maybe mom died and they're the daughter, so they take them home. What happens when the daughter dies? Is there a permit or something? That's a great question. So we, Jen and I actually have conversations about this and Jen would love to talk to you about this because she introduced me to this topic. Okay. And we've had to deal with it a number of times. Um, it's not always cut and dry. Okay. So let's, let's take your example. Mm -hmm. Mom passes away. Mm -hmm. Daughter makes the arrangements, mm -hmm. uh, keeps them at home. Uh, daughter dies. Daughter dies. Let's say she was mom's only next to kin. Mm -hmm. Now daughter passes away and let's say daughter has a spouse. Spouse makes the arrangements for his wife, mm -hmm. uh, the daughter, and now has two sets of remains at home, his mother-in-law mm -hmm. and his spouse. If he wants to keep them at home, no one's the wiser. Mm -hmm. The health department is not going to knock on their door mm -hmm. and have them take custody of mm -hmm. them or do anything like that. Um, but if he tries to come into our office to have them both interred at a cemetery or scattered at sea, he has no rights to make any decisions about his mother-in-law's remains because he has no biological or power of attorney relationship to her. Mm -hmm. 
he can do whatever he would like or and dictate the disposition mm-hmm. of his wife's remains, mm-hmm. but has no rights to his mother-in-law. Um, which is difficult because sometimes the wish is, oh, they wanted to be scattered together. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. And, and that happens all the time. Um, they'll just hold on to mom's remains and say, mm-hmm. when I go, we're both going home to the ocean, yeah. you know, or forest lawn or rose whatever. hills or wherever, whatever. whatever. Um, and that's a rude awakening when it's been all that time and it takes years for that whole, the, that large yep. plan to come to fruition. Um, and you can't do anything about it. Um, the only thing you can do is, and usually the case is that there is some sort of living next of kin for the mother-in-law. Oh, okay. And then that, uh, that husband, person. that person has to reach out to them and have them authorize it. Okay. So um, there is something you can do. There is a, there is a path. There's a path. It's, it's finding the, the blood relatives, um, and so on and so forth. And then going from there. And then going from there. Wow. Yeah. That's and that. I can't imagine trying to do all of that and grieve at the same time. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> you can't. It's really hard. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's why the funeral director can really step in and help if you reach out to them before the need is imminent mm-hmm. so they can help you plan the future because it's going to happen. We just don't know when. Exactly. And that way it'll give everybody a peace of mind of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wish more families would, would take that into consideration. But I think a lot of it, too, is the education piece. Big time. Big time. They don't think about it. Like I didn't think about it until hospice work that what it, what you have in your advanced directive is great pre-death, but it stops post-death. You need to have something in addition to, to be able to complete that circle. Yeah. So, it, and it's, it, it's so interesting that in my line of work, we see tons of advanced directives. Um, we have kind of a, a list of what we call good ones and bad ones. Yeah. Um, the bad ones basically are put in that category because they're um, often given to, to families, um, but they are contain either ambiguous wording or omit uh, post-death authority uh, for the agent, um, which is really difficult uh, to, to tell a person. Um, most advanced directives in California that are executed are executed correctly, which is good. Yeah. Um, I would love if all families could keep all the pages together. Yeah. For the duration of, of having the document, which is important uh, because it can be a valid document, but if we're missing page four, page four, um, <laughs> it's, it's going to make it very difficult for us to lawfully Yes. Pursue a cremation based on an incomplete document um, just because we're a business too. And we don't mm-hmm. want to get in trouble. And we don't know that some other person could come forward with the page. complete that page four. And it, you know, it lists a contingency that the other person didn't want you to know about. They didn't want you to know about, or may say that they wanted burial instead of cremation. You're authorized something against their wishes so on and so forth. It's any, a number of things. Um, and we, are very cautious of that. And while conveying that to a family that we are cautious, we have to be sensitive to their, yes. their needs at the same time. Absolutely. Um, what happens if let's say you pick a mortuary here in Orange County, cause that's where you live 
and then you're traveling in Arizona and you pass away? Oh, this is a great question. So the first question I would ask would be, do you have prepaid mortuary arrangements with any funeral home? Okay. Because if you do have prepaid arrangements with a funeral home, you've already spent money towards that service. And in a lot of cases, the money you spend um, should be used. Mm -hmm. Um, And even there's usually options for what kind of twofold. Um, Usually when you prepay the, it's a little bit more expensive and can cover a larger uh, radius for your transportation when you pass away. Okay. So it, instead of it being a local radius within one County, it may cover a hundred miles or whatever. Um, it depends on the funeral home yeah. and every funeral home is different. Um, there's also companies that operate um, solely to make transportation arrangements for decedents outside of that mm-hmm. radius to take them back home. And that can be an, an add on to a prepaid contract. Okay. Um, and then you have what's called a travel option or worldwide travel guarantee. Oh, okay. um, and depending on the, what the circumstances of your passing, they would arrange to have you either driven or shipped back home uh, to a local funeral home to, to have your cremation done at home, at home. Um, which is nice. So I do recommend that if you can afford it mm-hmm. and if you travel a lot. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, if you do not have prepaid arrangements and you pass away, mm-hmm. away from your home, um, most likely you will arrange for a mortuary in that location to take care of the arrangements. Um, unless finances are not an object for you. And in that case, you can have the remains shipped back and have the cremation done at home. home. But that is a lot more, it is a lot more expensive to move a a whole body than it is to move cremated remains. That's generally how I think about it. Mm -hmm. Anything that has to do with a whole body is going to be far more expensive than moving cremated remains. Absolutely. Um, So always keep, keep that in mind. Um, for families that do a lot of traveling, I'd re- I always recommend prepaying with a travel option. Um, some mortuaries will allow you to pay for worldwide travel without prepaying oh. for your cremation. So okay. you, that's a good question to ask to see yes. if they offer that. Um, because that could save you an expensive prearrangement cost, but get you the coverage that you want that, you want. that fits your lifestyle. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if this is something you can answer, but I know there's there's also the option of um, whole body donations. And I know mortuary sometimes work. Let's say you want to donate your body to science and you don't know how to go about it. I know from my understanding, there's some uh, mortuaries that will help you with that paperwork or at least put you in, in touch with who you need to talk to for mm-hmm. financial reasons or or interest or whatever, so that you can work together as a team. But you kind of need that taken care of before you die. Cause there's a lot of paperwork that needs to happen. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I have extensive knowledge of one company that mm-hmm. does it. Um, so my knowledge is kind of a yard wide, but a mile deep. Okay. Um, so you can go directly to the body donation companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally speaking, they will pay for the cremation or at least the cremation transportation permit and taxes and mm-hmm. maybe some other fees um, in exchange for the body to be donated. Um, in my experience, you don't have to have those arrangements made ahead of time. Okay. But if you if you do not, you should be aware that donation, at least in my experience, is uh, time restricted. So there there is a certain amount of time that the body has to be. There could only be so many hours from the pet time of passing to when the body is under refrigeration. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also a, only a certain number of hours or days that the body can um, be kept in storage before the donation has to occur. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, an extensive medical evaluation. Yep. Um, uh, in my experience, a lot of the questions that uh, families are asked are, uh, did the patient have any communicable diseases? Mm-hmm. Um, they ask about uh, BMI. Mm-hmm. So it can be over or under a certain BMI. Oh. Um, uh, age plays a factor as well. Um, I don't know if that's for all companies, mm-hmm. um, but for for the company that I generally mm-hmm. deal with, uh, age uh, is a factor, mm-hmm. but a small one. Um, but if that is a route that someone wants to go, it is a beautiful thing to, to yeah. do. Um, what I also encourage people to do is educate themselves on the company that they're using. Mm-hmm. Because in my experience, when talking about body donation, mm-hmm. uh, a family will say, for example, oh, my dad had Alzheimer's for 10 years. Mm-hmm. I hope that through the donation to science, there'll be a step, there'll be a step forward in medical research for Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. You have to make sure that you understand the process of donation of the company you're dealing with, mm-hmm. because if that's what you want, that that's not always how those companies work. Um, most of them, um, actually, from the experience I have, they will harvest whatever tissues, mm-hmm. organs, joints, etc., mm-hmm. to provide as much use for third parties as they can. Mm-hmm. Um, and that does not necessarily mean that they are going to take your loved one's cause of death Mm -hmm. and try to parlay that into a cure. And if that's, for example, my mom is part of a study where she told me we were talking about advanced directive and she said, and by the way, my brain goes to such and such to be studied. I've been part of this 
this health research program for, for decades. Well, if she hadn't told me that I wouldn't have known that. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you need to make sure that's in your paperwork because I'm not going to remember that the moment you die. Cause I've got a lot of things going on, but if it's on paper, then I'll know, okay, this is the steps that need mm-hmm. to happen and, and start making those arrangements. But it, again, it's the communication. Piece. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's, and there's the crux of it is the, yeah. is the communication. Um, now that you know, you yeah. know exactly what to do. Yes. It, what is it with the hospital? Yes. The UCI? Uh, U, uh, USC. USC. Beautiful. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. But I, I wouldn't have known that. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I know she goes for testing every so often because, yeah. but I didn't realize it was going to include post-death. Yeah. You know, so wow. that's stuff that as a family member, I need to know mm-hmm. so that I can make sure her wishes get fulfilled. Absolutely. Because I would feel terrible if I found out after that deadline, it'd be too late. Absolutely. And I think as an extra step to that, um, you, there are a myriad of types of, uh, of types of programs like that. And some of those institutions have arrangements with crematories Mm. and some don't. Okay. So some, you might not need to find a mortuary, but some you will. I will. Yeah. So that's an extra step um, yeah. that, you, that people should look into if you're going to have a, if you're going to will your body to science in any way, shape, or form. Know that they're going to take care of everything after the donation. Yeah. Because <coughs> that's important to know. And then, you know, again, the crux, you, you pretty much, you know, we're spot on. It's the communication piece. Everything we've been talking about tonight comes down to, conversations and communication because you know we don't when we're in that time of having to make those decisions that's not the time to start thinking well what do we think mom wanted mm-hmm. you know hopefully not now obviously there's accidents and there's different things that happen that you won't be have thought about it up until then because and the other thing you mentioned that I thought was interesting was BMI because I think that's also um, sometimes with cremation mm-hmm. um, you have to know ahead of time because maybe there's certain rules or things with cremation, um, depending on BMI. Yeah. There, I mean, usually, usually what you'll run into with a person who's heavy, um, is a lot, a lot of mortuaries will have a special weight handling charge for someone who's, uh, overweight. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can, be an exorbitant extra cost. Yeah. Um, I've seen overweight charges as high as $650, $700, depending on your weight. You have to look at your budget then. Exactly. Um, and kind of that it's, it's, it's another good question to ask. Um, um, if the mortuary doesn't ask you how much your loved one weighs, it's a good question to ask them. Does it matter how much yeah. your loved one weighs? Um, uh, I and there's there's nice ways to ask that question. There's you know I always I always ask people to forgive me yes. before I ask it. Yeah, um, just to kind of in 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 expectation of them kind of looking yeah. at me like, why are you asking me that? Yeah. Well, the only reason I thought of it was because I know someone who flew recently and they had to pay for two, 
they have the potential of having to pay for two seats because of their BMI. And that's what made me think about, oh, well, I wonder if a cremation would be because, again, you're dealing with a physical body, Mm -hmm. if there would be an issue there. Yeah, it's important for us to know, especially um, just to Mm kind of tell you, the first thing that we do is have to make a removal. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time that's from a home and or, or a facility. And we want to make sure we will ask you one because it may be an extra cost mm-hmm. and we want you to man- we want to manage those mm-hmm. expectations for the families. But also we want to keep our staff safe. Yep. And if you're going to be present during the removal, we want to make sure that goes smoothly so that that removal can be well staffed so that we're not we don't look like we're. We have to wait to have someone come um, in to help. And yeah, we don't want we want that experience to be as smooth as possible because it's it's a terrible experience as it is. Um, but adding any type of stress that nature yeah. is needs to be avoided. Absolutely. So that that's that's why we, that's why that's why we ask, the, ask we ask yeah. the delicate questions in a delicate way. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's not to embarrass anyone. It's not to put anybody on the spot. It's so that we can have a streamlined, safe experience Mm -hmm. because it's a memory. If you're Mm -hmm. present, it's something you don't forget. Absolutely. Um, And that's why sometimes it's suggested that you not be, you know, step into the other room during that time. If, you know, you're there to sign paperwork and do what you need to do, say your final goodbyes. But if it's really hard, then you can step into the other room with somebody that cares about you mm-hmm. if you're not comfortable being present. And mm-hmm. then there, you can go down the mortuary at a later date and finish the paperwork. Yeah. Cause if it happens in the middle of the night, yeah, I, you know, I, you'll be calling the mortuary the next day to make those appointments. They're not going to expect you to, yeah, to never, do it right then. Yeah, never expect um, anybody to do that. You know, so that's the, the, again, it's the communication piece. And if you've talked to a licensed funeral director ahead of time, you'll have this information already when you can really think about it mm-hmm. and and actually absorb the information, I, I I one of the most rewarding things in in my job is when I am talking to a family who most of the time they've under the advisement of a hospice social worker mm-hmm. they're calling us in advance of their loved one's passing. Mm-hmm. Um, usually, it's it's going to be within the passing will occur within thirty days, mm-hmm. but. When I have that conversation and I go through pricing and the paperwork that will be need to fill mm-hmm. it up, filled out and who should be signing it. And before I get them off the phone, I usually say, do you, do you want me to discuss with you how it works mm-hmm. when your loved one passes away? And usually I get, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Actually walk, walk me through that. Cause I don't know. Exactly. I don't know what to expect. Yeah, what's, what's going to happen? Because then they realize, they go through the situations of, oh, what if it happens at 2 a.m.? Yeah. So I walk them. Or on through, Christmas morning. Or on Christmas morning. And with a with the case of a person on on hospice here, where, where we are in Orange mm-hmm. County, I always say, it, I always ask, is your loved one on 24-hour care or does a nurse come some a few times a week. Mm-hmm. What, what's the situation for hospice? And they say, "Oh, we we have a nurse right now coming in uh, three times a week." Mm-hmm. And I say, "Okay, so if that's the case, if mom should pass away at three o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. your first call is going to be to hospice, mm-hmm. and they're going to dispatch uh, a nurse mm-hmm. to your residence, 
And as a medical professional, they can pronounce the death and they can give us a call as a medical professional, which allows us to dispatch a driver. And from the time they call us to when we arrive is going to be within two hours. And that way they know they don't panic, right. call us. And we have to tell them you have to call you. We, we would just direct them to hospice because right. legally we can't. Legally, author, you can't authorize do that. a driver to, to make that removal. But it's an extra step for them and, and more time in the home mm-hmm. without that support. And inevitably, when I explain it, it, it registers with yeah. them as making total sense. Yeah. And it's just communicating with them mm-hmm. because they may not think that in the moment. Right. But when given the opportunity to have that conversation before, it all makes sense. And, then they, makes know exa- sense. and then they know exactly what to do. Exactly. Um, I have a really good story that okay. I want to mention to you. It, it kind of involves the uh, Arizona situation mm. that you mentioned. Yeah. Uh, we had one of our prepaid clients pass away yesterday. Mm. And the spouse was with him, but they were on day two of a 10 day cruise and they're not set to dock in the U S till December 7th. Oh, and they were going out of the port in Florida. Okay. So this was a big lesson for me. So luckily you, and in, in how we operate is sometimes our prepaids will prepay with us mm-hmm. and they live in the local area, yeah. but then life happens and they're like, hey, we want to retire in Florida. Mm-hmm. They've already given us their, their money mm-hmm. and we've already made, like met with them. We mm-hmm. know them. Yeah. We want to help them. Yeah. Um, so we do our best to handhold them through that process since right. we've already started with them. Um, so in that case, we have a list of contracting mortuaries around the country Oh, that, uh, will deal with us. Yeah. We'll deal with the family and be their point of contact, but they will take care of the nuts and bolts of filing the necessary documents oh, and, and performing the cremation. And then we'll set in send us the remains or deliver the remains, whatever wants to happen. Um, But if they had not prepaid for those arrangements, none of that would happen. They would have called us and we would have said, we can give you a a list. I'll help you find a local mortuary. I'm happy to do that. We're, that's how we operate. I'm not going to leave you hanging. Um, But we're no good. It's, it's far too expensive for us to, ship the body back here or anything like that. So if you're, it it was such a interesting experience and I'm, I'm, it was a a clear example of a situation where prepaying for your arrangements benefited Mm -hmm. that family to the, to the, to the nines. Absolutely. Yeah. They were, I mean, it was it was really interesting because they have multiple stops before they go to Miami, 
And no one on the ship could give us or the spouse a definitive answer as to whether the body will be taken off the ship at any one of those stops in a foreign country. So the body could have ended up at a morgue in Cartagena or in Cuba or oh. Costa Rica. And I don't, I did not know the rules of what dictated yeah. the events of why that would happen. Um, the physician that, and I also learned this, there's a morgue on the cruise ship and a physician Okay. And an emergency medical team. Oh, wow. So for all of those boomers going on cruises, cruises. late in life, yeah. make sure that your ship has has those arrangements, should anything go yeah. awry. Um, I know that this ship did. My guess is that all major cruise lines do, and I just had no idea because I had never thought of it. Or, I had neither. Um, but... I imagine that this is not the first time that this has happened to this cruise line or the yeah. all the other ones. Um, but the physician stated that in his experience, uh, they they don't want to take an American citizen off a ship in a foreign country because it usually makes things much, much more difficult. Yeah, I would think so. Um, so that was wonderful to hear. Um, from him and a nice piece of knowledge for, for me in the back of my mind. Um, but that was just a situation that I had never encountered and learned a lot uh, from trying to solve it for, yeah. for the spouse um, and wanted to, to share. That's that. important to know, especially since we're talking about arrangements and, and thinking, you know, cause it's true. I mean, a lot of older people go on cruises, they yeah. retire and that's their dream is I worked hard my whole life and now we're going to take a cruise around, yeah. you know, the world wherever, or wherever, wherever they, wherever they feel called to go because they saved their whole life for this dream. And then something happens on the ship. What do you do? I thank you for that. I would yeah. not have thought of that, but that's true. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it's a definitely one of, it puts a, uh, a tally in the column for prepayment. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, especially if you're going to be traveling. Um, it's a, it's a really clear, clear winner. Absolutely. That, that and, that and that way you've made contact with the funeral director who's kind of guided you and given you information for you to make an informed choice. Mm -hmm. Cause that's what it's about. It's your mm -hmm. choice, but make it uninformed or informed. That's up to you. Yeah. Um, I do have a question going back to the stepchild. Sure. Um, if you're married, your spouse makes those decisions. That's pretty, unless sure. you make some other legal document stating you with someone else. Yeah. What happens if you're not married? Can a parent make that choice for an adult child? Yes. So, so the, the, because I'm not married, so I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the, if you ever want to look it up, mm -hmm. the California health and safety code mm -hmm. rule 7,100 mm -hmm. um, lists the order of mm. controlling next of kin. Okay. Um, you said before. Yeah. Advanced directive. Yeah. Spouse. And then it goes majority of living adult children. Then majority of living adult parents. Okay. And in California, if 
the amount of those same degree of kinship mm -hmm. is two, we would need both. We would ask for both of those signatures because oh. because one of two is not a majority. Okay. It's only fifty percent. I mean, mm -hmm. we need fifty one. That's how I yeah can describe it. Um, from there, it kind of delineates to siblings and okay so on and so forth. Usually, it doesn't get past there, but in some cases, it does. Okay, um, but it goes all the way down to conservator, which is the, the, the bottom, bottom line. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's another thing that, mm -hmm. uh, I always ask families, mm -hmm. uh, what's your relationship? Yeah. Do they have a person that's in this relationship or do you have an advanced directive? And you have to go through, you have all to go that. through all every, of that every time, yeah. every time. Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking about that. Cause I figured it'd be my parents. They're still, you know, if something were to happen to me and they're still alive, but mm -hmm. I didn't know. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and on that note, um, an adopted child mm. is considered is, is a child, so it's, oh. it, it is it is not okay. It is not differentiated, and in, in any way. Okay. And if you're formally adopted as a child, you are that. You are that person's child. That's good to know too, because I know there's a lot of adopted family with family members who are adopted, and they might ask that question. Yeah, that's true. This has been really interesting. Yeah. Another thing is. Uh, California does not acknowledge any type of common law marriage when oh, it comes to death. Okay. So if you have a girlfriend of 25 years, make her either make her your wife or vice versa or whatever, uh -huh. um, or put her as your agent as an advance directive. And stipulate post-death. Mm -hmm. That's important mm -hmm. to know. Mm-hmm. Because I think many people just assume that yeah, it do. is, and it's not the case. They do because it works for them in other. It works for them in other categories yep. while they're living, and therefore they make the assumption. Exactly. And we encounter that daily. You encounter that often, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Again, talk to a, a licensed funeral director to get that information because that's it can save a lot of grief at the end. Absolutely, talk to me, guys. <laughs> Yes. I'm here to help you. Call Will. Call me. All right. I think that's important. Yeah. You know, really, especially we're going into a holiday season and, you know, emotions run high and things happen. Mm -hmm. I mean, the weather, flu season, things happen that we don't even think about. Mm -hmm. And now's the time to reach out. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was talking to my parents about it last night on, on advanced directives and how important they are and answering questions. And I'm thinking we're almost at December one and we're having the conversation Yeah, and it's important. Yeah. It, and, it, and if you're, if you're lucky enough to, to get to have the conversation, sometimes it comes in pieces and comes in chunks. Mm -hmm. Just take what you can, you know, get as far as you can with the, with the person as yeah. long as they're comfortable and if they want to put it down, it's okay um, mm -hmm. unless it's a serious situation. Yeah. Um, but just do do what they're comfortable with. Bring it up with a certain cadence so that you can kind of work towards finishing it. Um, but start start the start, conversation. Start the conversation. Yeah. It can't hurt. It could be it'll be uncomfortable, but it can't hurt. Yeah. And and a lot of the times I I have people reach out to us to clear up misconceptions yeah. about conversations that they're having. Cause 
at home mm-hmm. because they're getting into arguments. They don't want to talk about it. And then they're spewing out yeah. kind of nonsense, right. things that aren't true just to either table it mm-hmm. or avoid it and so forth. So if you have questions and want to get your ducks in a row, happy to, Absolutely. to help. You know, and most of the time when we Google things doesn't mean just because it's on the internet that it's accurate. So yeah. always get, you know, your information from a, an accurate source. You can, yeah. At least to confirm, I read this on on the internet. Is this true? And you can say yes or no, or maybe. And this is what the stipulations are to that maybe, mm-hmm. so that they can get the accurate information. So they're not walking into you getting upset. Well, I read on Google that yeah. it's supposed to be A, B, C, and you forgot E. Yeah. You know, exactly. no, you know, actually, there's two A in there somewhere that you need to deal <laughs> with. And they're like, well, that's again, that's the important part. Exactly. You know, because. This isn't the time to, to find out that something wasn't accurate. Yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, it's okay not to know. Yeah. There are, there are, we're in a position that we're just always so eager to help people. Mm-hmm. So just take it, take advantage of the people around you. It's a medical, medical team, mm-hmm. legal and death care. Yeah. And, and get, and each one can be a, a second opinion. Exactly. Of, of the one of the others. Exactly. Okay. All right. You know, so, well, thank you. Absolutely. Oh, always. Any final thoughts? Um, I hope everyone enjoyed it. I think there are a lot of good uh, nuggets of information. Um, I just want to leave you with um, have that conversation. Reach out to your local funeral directors for any help. We're here to help you. We love helping families. We're happy to educate you. We are underutilized, in my opinion. Um, and usually nobody ever asked us about all the stuff we know. So you'll make us feel good, too. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Thank, thank you. Thank you, everybody.